welcome to Health Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Health Kitchen Podcast. And today, I got someone who knows a lot about management and used to manage me. And that's really exciting because I find I have a lot of people who are servers, bartenders, chefs, whoever, um, but you don't get a lot of people who, you know, are the dining room manager or the business manager or play in those roles within the restaurant. And when you're looking at those roles within the restaurant, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, managing the dining room and keeping it going well. You have to look at your sales, you have to know when to cut people, you have to possibly manage some marketing, uh, deal with guest complaints. There's a lot of different things that happen when you're playing as the restaurant manager. And a restaurant manager can have a massive role and expectation placed on them to make sure that everything is running well. But they also are really great to interview because they give us a lot of details, lots of different ideas when it comes to not only the functioning of the restaurant, not only how the workers feel, but how to integrate that all together. And today's guest does that very, very well. So without further ado, let's get to meeting them. Today's guest goes by the name of Rebecca Gordon, and she has over 10 years of experience working in restaurants in a variety of roles. But most recently, she is the general manager of Magita Cafe and Bistro, part of the Neighborhood Group. And she loves working with her restaurant teams to make restaurants more environmentally and socially sustainable. And she uses Magita as her vehicle to help educate guests on the sustainable initiatives the restaurant has done and tries to empower them to do the same at home. Rebecca is a graduate of the School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph, and she has recently been recognized as the top 30 under 30 by the Ontario Holstery Institute. So. She's awesome. I absolutely loved working under her. And we have a really great conversation about where restaurants are going, where they've been, and maybe how we see sustainability of restaurants in the future. So without further ado, let's go listen in. Yeah. So whatever. Uh, okay, cool. So we'll get into it. Okay. Um, so I'm sitting here with Rebecca Gordon, uh, and you used to manage me. We worked together for a few years in Vegeta, but I always give the floor to my guests for them to introduce themselves and go over themselves, and then we'll get into it from there. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm really excited to be here because I've been listening to your podcasts and 
I love them. So it's a big honor to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so um, I don't even really know where to begin. <laughs> so um, before like coronavirus and, and everything, um, I was managing uh, Majida and um, I kind of worked my way up through the ranks um, in that role. So um, originally I, I took kind of a bit of a risk and was hired on as a host. And I felt like I was a little bit more qualified than than that but i knew that it was a really great company that i wanted to work for and then um suddenly i was like in a supervisor role um and then like suddenly like i think like a month or two in our um, bar manager quit and suddenly they like turned to me and they were like you know what you would make a great bar manager um and uh i remember being so terrified and i was like trying to talk my bosses out of giving me this job because i thought i was so underqualified and um because like i'd never made a cocktail before how can how can someone be a bar t- bar manager if they don't know what they're doing but anyway they they uh kind of coached me through it and um i think i succeeded um yeah, you and did. then you um, did really well I always wonder um and then and then kind of we we grew um because it was like a brand new restaurant over the years and and suddenly we've become a lot more busier we need to bring more managers on so I kind of worked in a service manager role um and which is kind of like a lot of like event planning and stuff and then um got moved into the general manager role and so um, it's really nice that I've been able to kind of work all those front of house roles in, in the restaurant, um, because I understand how everyone kind of feels in each of their roles and, and how that all goes. So, um, that's a little bit of kind of like my background of how I got to be where I am now. Um, but I've also, um, have a degree from the University of Guelph from, from the School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. Um, and that's given me a lot of foundation as well. And uh, they are really focused on restaurant sustainability. And that uh, really kind of opened my eyes to different ways that restaurants could be run. And I think that um, having that background has really helped me kind of do what I do at Medita, which is like kind of thinking a little bit differently and, and coming up with ways to reduce waste or, um, you know, make it a little bit of a different work environment than than most traditional restaurants. Yeah, yeah, there's, okay, there's so much awesome stuff to unpack from there. Um, Firstly, I love, because I had no idea that you had no cocktail experience when you hopped into that bar manager role, and I had no notice that, like, uh, so good job on that. That's amazing. (laughs) I, like, spent so much time, uh, like, on Google, and, like, watching YouTube videos, and, like, freaking out at home, and then I was like, okay, I gotta gotta fake it till I make it. (laughs) Wow, I, I love that. And you know, that's interesting. And I think also why I was really interested to have you on is that your trajectory, even within Vegeta, was really awesome to watch um, over the time I was there. But then also since that time, how you kind of came in as a host, uh, you know, doing the cafe things and then really just kind of had these opportunities uh, come up in front of you and you just embraced them and made them work and grew with the business as the restaurant became busier and busier. Yeah. I, um, it's, I kind of like when I reflect back on kind of all my jobs, there's always like a, I kind of always get promoted or like move up the ranks. I think it's just, I think it's just kind of like who I am and I'm really like, I work really hard and like, I always kind of want to like prove myself. Um, 
but I think it's just also like I have this like weird like leadership I guess quality too and I think that that just kind of comes into play like yeah I don't know I just I want it so I just go for it and yeah. Yeah. see what happens yeah you think on your feet really well I think that's one of the really big things that's a really big strength when you're managing or working at a restaurant or whatever is just the ability to adapt and think on your feet and since being the front of house manager or like service manager some nights like you're the one who's figuring out like I was I could imagine doing it but like having people come in the door making sure that the whole restaurant's working at this you know helping out the host that's on and also controlling the flow that's coming to the servers and the bartenders and you know keeping that all under control was like pretty fascinating to watch um yeah and I definitely did not want that job <laughs> <laughs> it's like a big puzzle kind of um but uh, yeah, it takes a lot of practice, I think, to figure it out. And like, no night is ever the exact same. And um, you just have to learn how to just be adaptable and, and go with the flow and and just really like learn when it's time to step in and stop things or, or whatever before it turns into a train wreck. But yep. it's fun though. Exactly. So I want to roll a little bit backwards in time. So what made you get into the industry in the first place? Yeah, so... Um, well, it was a little bit weird. I was kind of like lost and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I'd kind of like never really, really thought about it, I guess, growing up. <laughs> I was a big swimmer and um, like the only thing that I really cared about was like this dream of like going to the Olympics or something. Um, and then I uh, actually like when I had like a month off and I went on this trip to Italy and it was like this like it was like this high school credit um, where you get to like cook um, and you're in Italy and it was just like mind blowing. I was like, there's a whole world outside of this world I've been living. Food is amazing. Um, and uh, just kind of like, I realized like I, I really loved food and like the way that you can kind of connect with people through food. Um, and so I ended up like quitting my little swimming thing um, and then I had kind of realized I had like nothing. And, um, well, I was like, I need to get a real job now. Um, and it, yeah, so I was like, I'll, I'll aim for like a food kind of place. And so I had lots of like interviews at cafes and like, I was terrible. I didn't know what I was doing. Like, and like no one would hire me, but then, um, I went to this one place called spirit tree. And so they're, they're a cidery and, um, I, again, I was terrible in my interview. Um, they asked me to come in for like a working interview and I didn't understand what that meant. And like, I remember it was like a big snowstorm. I was like wearing these like big winter boots and like, I was totally like not dressed appropriate. And then they were like, come, come into the kitchen and cook with us for your test, for your working interview. And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> But um, luckily, I think they were very desperate and they hired me. And, um, you know, I was pretty much like a glorified dishwasher. Um, and uh, it was kind of terrifying. There were some really cool people that, that were working there in that kitchen. And I obviously didn't really have, have all those skills, but I just wanted to learn. And it was like just so fun um, going to, into work every day. And there was like this this team atmosphere and like... Um, over the few months, then, you know, you, you really feel like you belong and you're part of the team and, you know, like working a crazy pizza night where you're making a hundred pizzas all together and you're just running around and there's like that adrenaline. And, and then when the night's over, you just, 
you're like, you made it through. It's amazing. So that really, um, that was just such a great positive experience. And I was like, I want more of that. And, um, so then like a year later, I ended up going to university to study, um, hospitality. And then that kind of, you know, I would work in other, other restaurants throughout my, my degree to kind of get more experience. Um, but it all kind of, kind of started off from that and just like how, how wonderful this industry is. And, and you can't, I haven't been able to find anywhere else where you get that, yeah. that crazy fun atmosphere, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very unique to the industry. Um, but that's a perfect segue for my next question, actually, which goes into your university experience, because I've talked to a lot of chefs that come from culinary school, and mm-hmm. I know a lot of uh, front of house teams are generally people fall into it, and then they kind of learn as they go along. Um, but I haven't had a lot of people who come from a university background taking a hospitality program, and I'm really curious what the difference is, or what do they what do they provide that's a little bit different compared to like what you get compared to just working your way through the ranks or maybe culinary school or whatever? Yeah. So it's, um, so my, my degree, um, so I get an, actually it's a, a business degree. So um, you're taking so many courses on economics and finance. Um, and it's really like, if you're, if you're just working as a server or whatever, like that's, you're never going to need that. Um, but, um, now like that I'm in a general manager role, it's really nice that I've had that background, um, because you are like working on budgets and you're, you're looking at your, your finances in the restaurant. And so having that strong business background, um, allows me to be kind of a, a lot better of a, a leader for like all the office work. Um, it's also, I think like we hardly did any when I was in school, any kind of like restaurant work. Like there was like two courses that you'd take where it'd be like in a, in a like make believe restaurant that you'd kind of run. PJs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I remember, Oh man, I, it was, I was so terrible in that class. Like I couldn't, it was like so hard to like come up with a floor plan for, or where you're going to seat people and there's like 10 tables. Um, but uh, yeah, there's like lots of, it's a lot more um, learning and it's, I think more like there's a lot of like leadership skills that you learn. Um, and so I think the further up you end up going up the ladder in a restaurant, the more beneficial that will be. And so um, definitely when I first started out um, in restaurants post degree, I felt like my degree was kind of useless um, because I wasn't using any of those things, but then in the end it ended up catching up and, and it was a huge, huge help. And, um, just being aware of like what current trends are in the restaurant. Um, I was a lot more familiar with that than my other coworkers. Um, so it kind of helps you be relevant and, and aware of what's kind of going on. That makes sense. That, okay, cool. Awesome. I, I never knew that they're more of a business degree or comparably. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, funny aside, because I, I, I never actually ended up going to PJ's restaurant to like do the whole, um, I always saw the menus and I was like, Oh, I have to go but I always had classes. Like yeah. on the Friday at that time would be I would be booked into a class. Um, so I would never be able to like figure out how to make that work. But and a funny aside, when I was at Humber College doing my postgrad, 
Um, they have a culinary program and a full restaurant mm-hmm. on site. And uh, the food is really good in the restaurant at amazing prices. Yeah. Um, and the wine list is also incredible. Like, you can get, like, Henry Appellum Bacon Noir by the glass, which was, like, really surprising because it's just... I, don't, I rarely see a wine like that by the glass, and that's at yeah. the student-run restaurant. Um, but the funny side was that, like, they had mostly people at the culinary program, but, like, not having much, like, serving experience, but they had to do that. Yeah, (laughs) Um, and it was really, it was funny and also painful to watch, and you kind of wanted to help them. Like I, I ate there I think maybe three or four times over my year at Hunter, and every time I was there, two times per shift, I saw drinks get spilled on guests. Oh yeah, for sure, that happens like all the time. Yeah, because they just (laughs) don't have the experience to like carry a tray, and like that sort of skill has to be like taught by fire, kind of. So like watching people do it for the first time in this busy student-run restaurant was just a time. (laughs) Yeah, and I I don't know if like probably that's not really seen as a as maybe an important skill from a institution education (laughs) side of things, you know. So maybe that gets skipped over, and they're just like all right, I'm just going to figure it out or whatever. Yeah. Meanwhile, like if I see one of my staff members that's like brand new to a restaurant and I see them pick up a tray, I'm like, oh no, we need to do a full lesson. Like yeah, this, is how you're gonna <laughs> this carry requires a tray. five minutes of like. <laughs> this is what you're going to need. <laughs> you know, put less things on the tray for now until you feel confident and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, get help when you need it and, you know, all that stuff. So it was always just entertaining and the prices were so good because you get like steak frites for $13 and you're yeah. like, Yeah, okay, well, because they don't really need to make a profit. So yeah. you get to benefit. It's yeah, great. yeah, yeah. They had a, and they also had a really cool, like, the culinary school, they had like a little, like, cafeteria where you could go buy stuff from the culinary school. That was just whatever they were making that week, which was mm-hmm. nice. And they had a lot of frozen stuff, which was cool. So you could get, like, shepherd's pie frozen and take it home with you and, uh, you know, cook it or whatever. And they also, from the butchery, like, one time per year, they would just have, like, all their kind of butchered meats r- sold there that you uh-huh. could just get wrapped up. And it was really cheap. And you were like, okay, I'll just take, like, half a cow because, you know, it's $100 or whatever. And you're like, sure. Yeah. Whatever. Go for it. Yeah, exactly. So... That I, I that was one of the fun parts of uh, going to Humber while I was there was getting to, getting to sort of see the culinary school and see what they're doing. And weirdly yeah. enough, for some reason, my program was part of the hospitality school. I have no idea why. What? Yeah. So for some reason, like my department, like that I was in the exercise science and lifestyle management and kinesiology and everything, got packaged into the. Um, into the uh, culinary school stuff, even though we were in a different wing of the school yeah. and never did anything with the culinary students, um, you know, because we had like our own state of the art wing um, for stuff, mm-hmm. that it was just kind of funny that that was happening. Maybe it's a sign that it's meant to meant to be yeah. joined up with hospitality and you're it, meant to be doing this podcast all along. I was meant to along. be doing this podcast <laughs> all along <laughs> uh, and uh, growing from there and all those sorts of awesome things. But... Um, you know, obviously we talk about health, safety, and performance, um, on this podcast. So I have to ask you, like, it's really hard working in restaurants. Um, you come from the management side a little bit more, so you've probably seen a little bit, uh, how we look at managing our employees when it comes to health and performance, and then also yourself as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to leave it a little open-ended how you maybe want to answer this question and maybe we'll pick out parts as we go. Uh, yeah, but yes, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's a tough to a tough one to kind of unpack. Um, so managers are typically 
on salary. Usually I would say in most restaurants, um, our, our team um, at Vegeta is. And um, usually that means we end up working really long hours uh, um, because we kind of need to fill in the gaps or, um, you know, we're not very good at maybe maybe controlling our labor. And so we, we as managers kind of take that on and end up taking on really long shifts. So um, I think that's a, a really big thing is like, so normally I think I only like a short shift for me is like maybe 12 hours, which is nuts. Um, but then that's like, you're on your feet for that whole 12 hours. Um, so that can like do a lot of weird things to your body. Um, and then it's just like being able to take care of yourself as well too. And like eating properly and, um, like actually like taking the time to, to have a break. Like we are not very good in the restaurant industry at allowing ourselves to take breaks. Like we, we pride ourselves in, in pushing through and I'm so tough. I, I worked 12 hours and didn't eat anything. And, um, I've been running around and I, I did my like 30,000 steps and like, I don't know why we, why that even came to be that we're so focused on supporting the negative, terrible things. Um, there's, there's a dumb machismo there. Um, that I find has always been present. I think it's not, it's present in restaurants, like in a like sort of like crazy, like it's magnified. I think everybody's trying to machismo and be like, how hard can we work ourselves to the bone? But even like in my office settings, like if I like in passing as a wellness consultant said like I didn't sleep very well last night, like some per- parent would be like, you didn't sleep well. I have three <laughs> kids, you know, and stuff like, like it's it's a weird like I don't know why it's a race to the bottom of who's more tired. Yeah. Like, we, I don't know why I have to be in competition with you. We better care of ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, and also, like, as the wellness consultant, I always found, like, me being like, well, I had a great morning, and I got up, and I went, and I swam, and then I came here, and I'm ready to work, and then people would have this sort of resentment towards you that you have your life together. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, <laughs> A, it's my job, but B, it was always, like, a really funny tone to it. Like, I, I don't know why, but it was just something I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Well, I think, yeah, we all, everyone in the world needs to work on improving that, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that. Um, so then I don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> okay. I'll help you out. I'll help you out. It's, it's all good. So as a restaurant, as a business, um, you know, obviously they're all closed right now, but like I've seen some really great groups come forward talking about, you know, uh, health and safety and performance when it comes to supporting their employees and saying, okay, so how do we regulate regular break schedules as an example? Mm -hmm. Or maybe like, how do you set up your workstation in a way that like promotes performance and stuff, you know? So, oh, you're really tall, like you're a chef and you're 6'3", you should actually build up your cutting board a little bit so that you're not hunched over as much. Mm -hmm. Like having those conversations and also allowing your um employees to have the freedom to talk about that and do that right um i've seen some really progressive kitchens talk about these sort of things and get in front of them now to say hey you can actually like go and eat for five minutes before service starts like that should be promoted and allowed or like whatever so and i think Majita's done some really cool things around that um especially under your leadership so yeah so yeah that's a really good point um I think, you know, your management team, um, you're gonna have a much more successful restaurant. I think if people 
everyone that works for you uh, feels comfortable going to you and, and bringing ideas. Um, and so that's a, one thing that I really try to do um, when I'm working somewhere and with my team um, is make sure that people feel like they can speak up if, if they need help with something or um, collaboration is really important too. Like there's a lot of things that I, we wouldn't be able to do if an employee hadn't come forward and, and brought an idea. Like I, I can't, look at everything and there's too much going on. Yeah. So um, it's really great when someone brings a great idea forward and then we're able to implement it. And we really kind of try to celebrate that a little bit. Um, and, you know, it's it's great when that happens. So uh, I always make sure that all of our employees know that they are allowed to, to take a break um, and they just have to come to us and we'll make sure that that happens. And so not everyone not everyone does that. Um, some people prefer to just kind of work through, um, but um, I'm not trying to force anyone not to. Um, and then, you know, like our kitchen team as well, um, like they have their own kind of little system in place about when they can take take breaks. And, you know, there's other team members that are willing to cover for people. Um, and it's, it's a team because everyone wants to see everyone succeed. Um, so I think that's a really big thing. Um, but then, um, even like going beyond that, like maybe there's little, little things that make people a little bit happier to be in the workplace. Um, so, uh, we like to, we're like to kind of grow and learn and education is a big thing. So, um, going on field trips, um, so going to a farm and you're working at a farm for the day. Um, first of all, it gives you really great background because you know, uh, a little bit more about where your food comes from. You also gain a lot of respect for the farmers and like how much work they put into it. And like, we're not paying them enough money for their food. Um, and you're better, you're able to kind of tell that whole story to guests. Um, but then it's like, also it gets people out of the restaurant and they're active and they're moving around and, um, you know, going for, we've done in the past, like staff hikes. Um, and that's just like gets people out of the, the work environment and they're more willing to do something if there's a group of people with them. Um, so I think that's, that's important and, and being able to kind of even just share different tools. Um, people, your staff don't necessarily need to take, take it up, but it's nice when, when you're putting things out there. So they know that they're, they're things that people kind of value. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you can really, um, you, I think Magita has the power to turn around and show their retention numbers are way better than most restaurants. Um, with like with the kind of it like since I left two years ago I go in and I still know like at least 75% of the employees um you know like that team has been the same for a long time and that's part of the strength of that team but that's also like a really interesting thing because across the board in the industry retention is the biggest problem well mm -hmm. not as of three four weeks ago but right uh like classically <laughs> retention was the biggest problem we couldn't get people to stay in positions and having to retrain people over and over and over and over again or whatever it would be just was causing a huge cost to the industry, a huge quality uh, problem to the industry. And I think, you know, a restaurant like Magita, you're really seeing the um, turnaround of like, no, we've actually, we're doing it. We're doing these things. We're putting these programs in place um, to support employees. And then people have stayed around. Um, yeah. I think like a big thing is that you're at a restaurant. It's all about people. And so we always put all of our focus on our guests and how, you know, you need to please the guests and they're the number one thing. But then I think 
you're not going to have happy guests if you don't have happy staff. It really kind of goes back to that. And you need to um, be supporting them and, and making it a really great work environment for them um, and doing kind of whatever it is that kind of works for your team. Every team is going to be a little bit different and they're going to value different things. Um, but I think we're really lucky that we have a, a team that um, like they really value all these little different, different things that we ended up doing. And just, it's a lot more of maybe a positive environment um, than, than other restaurants because there's a lot of support and, and teamwork involved. Yeah. Wants to see things succeed. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite ones that like really, um, I wasn't there when it, when it started, but I think it's a really cool program was the uh, bartending competition. Oh yeah, uh, that you put on, and uh, it was judged, and like employees made all these cocktails, and did they? I think they ended up on the menu, right? Like the final. Uh well, that was sort of the plan, and then like things then kind of spiral out. So uh, yeah. it was. Um, so we just wanted to have like a fun event, and um, so it's part of it is that you know we want our guests to really enjoy it but then it was well we want to teach our, our bartenders some of the skills that that we go into when we're creating a cocktail menu and so they had to like come up with this one cocktail but then they were taught um like how to make a good drink and what what elements you need to balance it out and then some some people even went through like how to cost it out like they had never really thought about how much ingredients cost and so that was really interesting and then they had to go and like perform and and show it in front of a guests and then um yeah and then we really kind of had it as like a feature feature drink but yeah it's that yeah really nice that people are able to kind of be themselves too and and show their creativity and they get kind of honored as well too yeah from a front of house perspective like i think that's a really cool program because it just allows people to be showcased that usually aren't showcased right Mm because i think in a lot of restaurants like the food is a showcase um, you know, head chef or whatever gets sort of like that stardom of like, this is why I designed, this is the food, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, usually like the head bartender with the cocktails or whatever kind of gets that side of it. But you don't really get like from a service staff, a host, a cafe person, whatever, unless the guests are really taking note, like you never really get that kind of recognition. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really cool to say, hey, we're going to have a competition. Show us what you got. Show and like allow you to be showcased in a way. And I haven't seen that ever really done in that way before and I was like oh this is really cool and you could do a lot of really you could grow that into some really great things as a way to show your appreciation for your employees but also like let them you know reign free a little bit yeah I think it's really important that you have that supportive environment otherwise it wouldn't work yeah right so like we put a call out to everyone in our staff so we had like a host come forward we had a couple cooks come forward like they've never made a cocktail before um, so it was like making them feel like they had a really great idea and, and us just kind of nudging them and coaching them through to make it work. And I think maybe that's part of my background. Like, just as I was saying that, like a host making a cocktail, that's kind of what I had to do when I suddenly had to become a bar manager. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so maybe, yeah, it's, it's just having that supportive environment so people can really shine and grow. Yeah, yeah, and you're elevating everyone. So I just, I when I saw that come across uh, the Instagram feed and stuff, I was like, okay, this is a really cool thing that I'm not seeing. And I, was, <laughs> I love that cleverness to that. I really, 
I want to see more of that across the board in restaurants. And I want to see, you know, if you really want to improve your retention, if you really want to uh, really help your employees, there's lots of different factors around that. Um, but I want to see that cleverness. And I, I was so impressed when I saw that. I was like, this yeah. is what I've been trying to talk to people about. And, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, cause I, I used to be a varsity coach, so I had to constantly figure out how to elevate um, my skaters, right? And know who is going to do what parts mm-hmm. for the team and how how are people appreciating? Because, like, you know, you're going to get all these rookies that come on in year one. Um, they're probably not going to compete all year, but they're going to go and skate. And how do you get them so that they feel appreciated in some way? And what kind of roles can you give them in the meantime to kind of make them feel like, even if, like, the seniors are the one winning the medals and everything, they're still, like, those medals are also part of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of the same thing with this program. Yeah, it is. And I think that's coming up with with kind of new ideas or or doing something a little bit different. That's what keeps me in the restaurant industry. Um, like I love coming up with with new ways to to motivate our team. And um, if if I wasn't able to do that and I didn't have that freedom um, from our owners, then um, it it wouldn't be successful yeah. and I wouldn't, I wouldn't still be here. And so I feel really lucky that I'm, I'm able to do kind of all these things. Cause I know that in some restaurants you're not able to. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's probably really tough. Yeah, definitely. So no, it, it's a pretty awesome thing, but obviously all the restaurants are closed right now. Uh, yeah. or most of them are, they're just doing takeout because of COVID-19, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of like the meteorite that took out the dinosaurs. It feels sort of like that a little bit. Um, with just the, how catastrophic it has been for the industry. Yeah. Um, but you started an online um, group to talk and connect with all the food service individuals, and I'm happy I'm a part of it. But tell us a little bit about Guelph Hospitality Network on Facebook. Yeah, so um, a few days after um, restaurant dining rooms got shut down, um, I had a few conversations with different people, and um, we realized that a lot of restaurant employees felt really lost and um, they didn't know what was going on and like, what is a temporary layoff? What does that mean? Um, Or like they've kind of lost their whole support system. Um, And we realized, you know what, we should maybe create a group that gathers everyone all together. Um, Our focus is on uh, like the Guelph area for anyone who works in hospitality, but we will allow anyone into the group. Um, But it's a, a great little kind of forum, I guess, for people to post things that have been helping them out, or if they have a question, they can reach out. Uh, but it's a lot more of a, a positive environment, I would say, than um, a lot of other other Facebook groups that are out there. But then we're trying, <laughs> we're we trying as well. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's like really hard. You're getting all this, um, like you turn on the news and it's just like doom and gloom and like, you know, everyone's lost their job and like, it's really hard to be, stay positive. Um, so we don't want a group that like every second is reminding them of what kind of nightmare they're in. Um, we're, we're, it's happened. We're stuck in this terrible situation, but let's make the most out of it. And, um, so doing different things to keep people occupied, um, I think, is is a big component of what's going we're going to see in this group. Um, so like just connecting with other people um, and kind of taking down the fact that 
we're all from different restaurants. That doesn't really matter so much anymore. Um, we want to see the entire restaurant industry survive. And, and how are we going to do that? And how are we going to stick it out while we're all out of work and stay sane? And maybe we can even learn some skills um, to make us stronger the exactly. when, we, when we head back to work. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's lots, and it's, it's a good variety of people that are inside the group. Um, uh, letting me play in the group uh, is really great. And I think it's cool to see different health professionals. Like there's some fitness people on there. There's uh, me with the podcast. There's the uh, people doing knitting lessons. Like there's just so many different aspects yeah. of stuff. There's a sandwich competition um, happening, yeah, I think. Just- yeah, anything to to keep people <laughs> inspired and and keep going, and you know, sometimes people will just post like a stupid um, like restaurant meme or whatever. But we we're not cracking restaurant jokes anymore. We don't have our team around us to do that. So so yeah. this group can kind of do that too. So yeah. So nice. I'm really curious. What do you think? And this is a big question. I don't think you need a perfect answer to this right away. Um, but when we're on the other side of this, what type of things do you think restaurants can do to become more like resilient, sustainable? Because this thing has really shown, I think not only for the restaurant industry, there's all kinds of businesses that are showing that, you know, they can't survive something of this nature. What do you think sort of things need to come into place to uh, counteract that? Well, this is really tough. This is a um, big question, but it's, it's yeah. sort of my big question this week. So, well, I think, I think what's come to show um, is that restaurants run on really small margins and they're not really making much profit at all. Um, and because they don't have that, they don't have all this reserve money to lean into. So that's the big thing with being closed down or not having as much um, cash flow coming in because you're just doing takeout. Um, they don't have any any cash to lean on to pay their rents or or anything, and so I think that's a, a big problem. And we don't, you know, we're we're known for not really paying our staff very well and like doing everything to kind of cut costs. Um, so I think what it really comes down to is I think we need to raise menu prices, and I don't know how we can get guests to to jump on board for that and realize um, that that's they need to be paying more without losing all of our guests, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, totally, exactly. You know, it's 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 interesting, and I, I've seen some conversations about this, and I, I I heard this said, like, and I really love the term of it, but, like, the Walmartization of restaurants um, yeah. or the Walmartization of customers. So there's this yeah. real race to the bottom, um, and because if you can't show that your quality is higher for whatever reason, people will not justify paying the price that it's owed. And sure, okay, that's fine and great. But how do we frame that in a way and how do we train guests to understand what's happening in the background and understand that so that we could justifiably raise prices? Um, I think that's a really, that is... I think in my head, the this is the question, and how mm-hmm. do we frame that in a way when it comes to value propositions or whatever um, yeah. to translate that to the guests so that they understand that right? So you know, so if we're not just re- existing on a three percent, four percent, five percent margin, what do we have to? What prices have to look like to get to like 20 percent margin? You know, and then at the same time, how do we translate that value? 
um, mm. you know, across yourself. Because I, I, you know, there's lots of professionals that get away with being able to do that, right? So as a brand, when it comes to being a personal trainer, um, yeah. you know, you can't, you could go for the volume uh, way of getting clients and just say, I'm going to take tons and tons of clients and only charge them all $30 an hour. And the problem with that is that you, there's only one of you and your business can't scale in value because you just can't get enough people in to create the value that you'd like as a business. Mm-hmm. So people raise their rates and they're able to justify that by their expertise or whatever it may be and create value for themselves in that way um, for their margins to work. So I would just... You know, can we take something like that and create a value proposition that then can work um, for restaurants? I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not a marketing buff, but I think that's where it that's where this conversation has to go, right? Uh, yeah, I really think so. And I feel like every time uh, our industry gets hit with something, um, the, it's like the new industry crisis. So, like, I'm thinking about minimum wage increase, and like everyone's like, all oh, the restaurants are going to go under. Um, everyone is talking about how we need to increase menu prices and um, everyone's too afraid to do that because they're worried they're going to lose all their guests and, and guests are what, what keep us alive. Um, And I think you made a really good point that so many restaurants are so focused on volume and we're not going to be able to do that anymore. That's the biggest thing that scares me. I don't, I don't think when we go back to have being able to open our dining rooms, I think there's going to be rules. Like we're only allowed to have, 50% 50% capacity. Um, and so that's terrifying to think of. Um, but then like trying to share the value, I think we need as a whole industry to come together. Yeah. Um, if there's a lot of us doing it, it's going to seem more normal to guess. Yeah. yeah. It's a big thing. Um, and then I think it's as well to um, one thing that I really try to work on with, with my team is trying to explain the story behind the dish um, or, and that kind of usually helps them get a little bit of a better understanding of the value. So, um, like our burger might be a bit more expensive, but let me explain, you know, it's venison meat that's in there. Um, venison is raised here and you have to do this or whatever, or, um, yeah, we know exactly who we get our salad greens from. And yes, it's a more expensive salad, but we know we're going to support this one person. And I think if there's one, one good thing that's coming out of, Um, this pandemic is that I feel like a lot of communities have come together um, and they really want, at least I'm seeing in Guelph, um, a lot of people want to support local because they want to see people in their community do well. So maybe that, maybe that will be able to be moved forward and maybe guests will already kind of, they've kind of been started to get trained on that or they'll have more value than they did before. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I think it, it definitely has to be something that like the, like all restaurants have to play this game if it's going to work um, mm-hmm. or the majority of them do at least. And uh, like, that's it. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. And I don't know, like, or at least like, I don't know. I wish like that it could be mandated that your business has to just have a certain level of margin and then everything else has to work outside yeah. of that. Right. Cause like, or you want to like function at a loss for like a huge long, 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 long yeah. time. Um, yeah, I think, I think there's there's a thing there. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the big thing is that restaurants, everyone usually, a restaurant's built and it's built out of passion. Yeah. People want to share their food with people and um, they're just, they're just so excited. It's their dream. They, and you know, it's their platform to, to do that. And I think a lot of people don't have that business background and it's really hard um, 
to run a, a restaurant if you're you're not aware of kind of the business side of things and it's really easy for you to end up running yourself into the ground yeah unfortunately. yeah I, I i said this a little while ago like a few months ago when i was recording the podcast because like i had a lot of chefs or whoever go on board and talk about the passion line um and i was just like how long does passion hold up an industry um, you know, and I wonder, like, that's great for an individual that you have passion and all this sort of stuff. That's fantastic. But I was really curious with the passion line that like, does passion make a business run? <laughs> um, and do what do we do with that? Right? So yeah. Um, and now I think with COVID, I think these current conversations are really starting to crop up even more. And people are mm-hmm. saying, Okay, cool. What do we what do we do now? Right? Yeah. Well, I think like if you probably though, if people have lost their passion, like that's fizzled out, like the, the dream is kind of gone. Um, I think maybe those are going to be the restaurants then that we don't see open up and that's really sad. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think those that still have that passion and they're still in love with the industry, they're going to fight really hard and they're going to come back yeah. and they're figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, definitely. I think there's going to be a lot of that, like figuring out ways to make it work and creating these sort of opportunities. And I think that's, yeah, we're going to see that when we're on the other side of this. And I think that's the most exciting thing, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, is that there's going to be a lot of really cool success stories and there's going to be lots of fantastic templates moving forward because a lot of people Mm -hmm. are like, you know, this is a great time to sit at home and think. And I think a lot of people are, you know, these conversations are just starting and obviously these things take time. Um, But I think we're going to start to see these sorts of solutions come forward when we're on the other side of this COVID thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think maybe some like innovation and creativity might come out of it, or at least that's what I'm hopeful about. Um, And it kind of keeps me going and, and, makes me look forward to to what things might bring yeah yeah exactly i always uh, reference the drag community because it's uh, my favorite pastime um but like i've literally just seen in the last few weeks like all these digital drag shows popping up online where it's like hey we're doing this show and you can uh tip us and some of them are like ticket based so like to be able to access the stream you have to pay a ticket price and all these and they're like having success but they're also having access to an audience that wasn't ever possible before like Mm -hmm. some of the really big ones like we it's now queens from all over the world are now in one drag show and like they're getting like 40 50 60 thousand viewers for the show which like you could never fill a drag bar with that many people no or like the acc even you know so it's like really cool to be like oh there's there's an audience for things here in ways that like were never possible before um, yeah. So I'm hoping that cleverness, hopefully, you know, obviously restaurants are much more space related and stuff, of course, mm-hmm. but I, I'm wondering if we're going to see some really cool, I just can't wait to see what comes out of this solution mm-hmm. us. So it'll be fun. <laughs> we'll, we'll just keep staying positive. <laughs> yes. Okay. I think that's been, we've been chatting for a little bit. I think that's an awesome amount of stuff for our interview portion. Um, so we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back with some crazy restaurant stories. Sound good? Okay, sounds great. Hey, listeners. So I know you probably enjoy listening to this podcast because we're all stuck inside the house or we are all 
essential workers and going to work and sometimes we have to commute or whatever it could be and it's a great time to listen to podcasts but i want to make sure that this podcast gets heard by as many people as possible and i need your help to do it so if you like this episode if you liked any episode give it a subscribe or a follow on spotify or whatever it is or possibly give us a review and a rating on itunes i would absolutely love to see more reviews on there by people who are writing them who are listening to the show because it just helps more people find the podcast and even better if you really like this show and you want someone else to listen to it send them an episode send them a link post it on your social media they'll absolutely love it and it really helps the show get around so I really am excited for more people to hear this show, and I hope that you enjoy the rest of this episode. Now, for Crazy Restaurant Stories, this one that I tell I had forgotten about until just now, and it probably takes the cake for me for Crazy Restaurant Stories. So I hope you enjoy it, and without further ado, let's get into it. So we are back from that egg segment, and uh, I hope the music was awesome on it. Uh, all my, uh, you know, free music that I find to throw on the in-between is always great. So I hope it was great music. But crazy restaurant stories. And I'm happy I have you here because you reminded me of one on our break that I'm going to tell. And it's so funny because, like, we worked together for, like, three years. So we kind of went through mm-hmm. a lot of crazy restaurant stories together. And uh, this one really takes the cake. So... Let's put some context on it. So, the restaurant had just opened, uh, Magita, and uh, the it was totally fine. We're kind of doing our thing. It's slowly becoming busier. Is because Magita did a soft open, so we didn't do like a giant grand opening on the first day. It was sort of like we were open and figuring out our systems and getting things rolling, and then did a grand opening like three months down the road. So we're a couple months in. It's a Sunday night. Um, you know, it was finally like a Sunday night that was a little bit busy. We're doing our thing. And uh, for context, um, right before I worked for Magita, I was actually working for the city of Guelph in Parks and Rec, and my job was to clean the public toilets in the uh, in the city. So and that's an important note because of um, how this story goes. Because I'm much... Right? Exactly. So I was really good at cleaning toilets uh, <laughs> uh, and dealing with gross things. So... Serving whatever, and uh, I remember what table it is, table 24 or 25. Um, they came in, it was this family, it's like winter-ish, like I think it was like an early winter, it was kind of cold out, and this family comes in, they were, uh, they, like there were two people there, they were waiting for a group of four, so a couple were there, they're like in their 30s, late 30s, whatever, and their friends are going to join them, and their friends have kids. Cool. And they're, and, you know, the family finally shows up, a couple minutes late, whatever. And they come in, they're all in their winter gear, and the kid is in, like, a, one of those, like, full snowsuits that you zip up. And my theory is that the kid overheated, because um, they do that very easily, um, when they got inside. And they were talking, and I literally, like, came up to, like, give them water as they're, like, still kind of settling in. I'm, like, there. And the kid just goes, like... Full blown has like a meltdown and starts puking, but not like I don't even know how much volume came out of this child. 
because it was just so much puke came out of this like little being. That's and it was like everywhere. And it was everywhere. It was on the table. It was on the dad who was holding the kid. Because it came out with force. So I think there was like a certain level of like splatter. <laughs> and um, somehow I didn't get any on me. Um, but there was a certain level of like splatter. And then the dad runs with the kid to get the kid out of the dining room and into the bathroom. But as he's running with the kid, the kid is still puking and like leaves a trail of the puke from the dining room. In the entire dining room, just a trail into the bathroom. Like the entire. Oh, it was a whole thing. So. Obviously, puke smells awful, and it's winter time, so we can't even open the doors really. Um, there's no ventilation, so obviously, this whole thing happens, and it's my job to deal with it um, as best as I could as a server. And you were managing that night, so <laughs> I was like pretty kind of knew what I had to do to get things to happen, um, you know, and like things needed to be cleaned up in a certain way, and you saw the puke and kind of just got all like deer in the headlights and I guess this is my favorite thing was I just turned to you and just said pull yourself together <laughs> yeah I was like so we took the I think the father's chair or something to the back hallway and yeah. it was just like covered in puke and I like had a cloth and I was like trying to wipe it down and just the smell of it was so gross and I was like gagging and yeah. like freaking out and yeah you turned to me and was like yeah, get yourself together. Come on. Uh, okay, so I literally did, like, you know in first aid courses, how they tell you to talk to people in times of emergencies? I literally yeah. did that to you because I just looked at you and I was like, do we have a bucket? Do we have a mop? And do we have soap? And you were like, yeah. yes. I was like, get those three things and report <laughs> back to me. And yeah, you were like, great. okay. And when I got them. <laughs> I'm ready to be managed just tell me what to do yeah literally and then you showed up with it and like I was able to get it off the uh off the floor um as best I could with like rags and then we were able to mop and stuff but the flip side of all this was like the parents like were dealing with that um in the bathroom and it was so funny because like the couple that was with them like kind of didn't react at all like they <laughs> yeah. were like really deadpan like they were just like you know, and they didn't want to help to clean up at all, which, like, I feel like as a guest in that situation, I'd at least, like, try to, like, do something. I don't know. Well, but be apologetic or something. Yeah. I don't know if there was any of that. Yeah, they were super, like, deadpan. And then I had to clean the puke off the table, and they just sat there. Like, they didn't even, like, get up and let us, like, clear everything off and clean the thing and stuff. Like, they just sat there the whole time watching you do it, um, which was a thing. And then... And then they, and then the family was like, okay, we can't stay. We're going to leave. Um, so they just like gave me a bunch of cash to help pay for the meal of the couple. Yeah. For the whole thing, uh, which was totally fine. And it was like very fine. <laughs> um, but it was just, I've never seen that much puke come from that little of a body. Yeah. It was like probably like a two year old or something like. Yeah. And produced like. Buckets on buckets of puke. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's a normal thing. Maybe because we're not parents, we don't... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't not know. Still. I did learn in in post um, from Edwin, who is now upstairs at the E-Bar. Uh, I learned from Edwin because he worked at a lot of clubs and stuff in BC, that when someone pukes, the best thing that you can do to like clean it up is to throw salt on it. Yeah. Or sugar. 
So I would have done that had I known, because then you can just like kind of like sweep it up. No, you can sweep it up, yeah. Which I didn't know at the time. So now I know that if I ever need to, or cat litter works or sand or anything like that, that just yeah. can absorb the liquid. This is a great public service announcement yeah. for everyone. Yeah, so if you have kids at home and your kids are puking, just throw salt <laughs> on the puke, not on the kid, on the salt, uh, on the puke and clean up from there. So yeah, that's a great story that I forgot happened. I must have blocked that out until you brought it up. So that's a, that yeah. is, <laughs> that's good. It's so funny. Like I like, it's probably a lot funnier because I was there, but yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, I just can't even believe that happened. It and was, it was. I need to be pulled together. Oh yeah. And on top of it, that dining room cleared out real quick. Yeah. Like nobody wanted desserts or anything. Like everybody was like, we'll get our bill. So like, it was like, it went from like kind of bustling and full to just like no one there. Death. Dead. <laughs> so, uh, what a time. What a time. And yes, I was better prepared because I've been cleaning up everything yeah. you could imagine for the city of Guelph for the summer. All these special skills you have. Yeah, yeah. yeah my, my hilarious set of jobs I've had. <laughs> okay, so what's your story? Oh, so now it's my turn. I don't know how I can outlive that. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I'm sorry you have to follow that up. Um, okay, so my story is, um, it's, it's a nice one. It's not, not gross or anything. But um, so we have um, someone who comes and collects our, all of our bottle empties um, once a week and takes them and they get uh, their bottle returned and it actually ends up, we donate it to uh, a charity. Um, and it, so it helps pro- provide food to, to people in need. Um, and originally for the first two years of the restaurant being open, it was my job to take all that, the empties back. And I hated that job because I had to like lug all these wine boxes up, up these stairs and pack my really small car. My car just then always smelled like empties. And it was just, yeah. and everyone would make fun of me when I would go to the beer store to return them and say that I'm like a crazy university student. Um, so I was really grateful when this guy stepped up to volunteer to, um, to, to take over all of our empties. Um, and so I love this guy so much. He's like in his sixties, like nicest guy ever. Um, so our restaurant was having, it's like three year celebration or, or something like that. And, um, one of our someone in the company was like, you can't call it a birthday. It has to be an anniversary. And I was like, that's stupid. An anniversary sounds like a wedding anniversary. Like it doesn't sound like much of a celebration <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So I had whatever. So I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll go for it. We'll call it an anniversary. And what we were doing is we were going to invite everyone in the community, all of our regular guests out and like fill the whole restaurant with them to thank them for supporting us. And so um, on the day of our anniversary, um, our empties collection guy comes. And so we have our entire restaurant decked out in decorations. Like there's all these signs saying like, we've been here for three years. Um, I think there was maybe even like balloons and like, it was very clear that we were celebrating being around for three years. And so I invited the empties guy to come uh, after when we, were, when we were having our big party that night and come celebrate with us. And he was like, oh, Rebecca, that's so nice of you to invite me. Um, I think I'm busy, though. I don't think I can make it. And I was like, okay, that's totally cool. Um, but you're a huge part of our business, and I just want to say thanks to you. Um, 
So then he ends up coming to the party. Um, but he, he comes in and he talks to our host and he's like, I can't stay for the party. Um, but, uh, you know, I just wanted you to make sure that you gave this to Rebecca. And, um, it was like a gift and a card and she's like, okay, it's for, it's for Rebecca, not the restaurant. And he's like, yeah, it's for Rebecca. And, um, so then, so like, if we're really busy or whatever. And then like a few hours later, the host gives it to me. I'm like, oh, that's, that's really nice. And um the card on the front it's addressed Rebecca and spouse and I'm like that's really weird and then like open open up the card and it's like happy wedding anniversary (laughs) I'm I'm sorry that I couldn't come to your party but like it's great to celebrate all your your different weddings and or whatever anniversaries and going on and on and on about how how weddings and like finding someone you love is so so important and um I just like died that was hilarious because I was I was probably like 22 at the time and um like everyone was cracking jokes about how I'm married to the restaurant because I'm so addicted to it yeah yeah it's funny funny how someone just can totally misinterpret something that's amazing um so you didn't actually receive it from him you got it like through the grapevine right yeah yeah because if you had actually gotten it from him like in person that would have been even more awkward oh i know i like so i didn't even tell him that it was for the restaurant yeah i think i like i thanked him for the gift but i was like i don't even know yeah, no. Like, I don't want to embarrass him too much that, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let him live oh, that, that storyline fantasy because it's just easier that way. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great, though. I love those, like, sort of funny interactions that you end up sometimes having, um, like, sort of broken through the grapevine or whatever. I was at a bar in Toronto, um, like, last year to do watch a drag race viewing party. So, like, RuPaul's Drag Race, like, every bar has them. Um, or, like, a lot do. And they have a drag queen in, they watch the episode, and the drag queen, like, talks during the ads or whatever, which is great. But there's one bar that I went to, um, and the queen that was there is, like, Selena Vile, Vicky Licks, all, uh, and Hilary Oos, or Hilary Yes now, whatever, anyway. Um, they were doing their viewing party, but at the same time at this bar, they were doing an art opening. Oh. For the art on the walls, for the artist. So it was like two very different groups of people in one space. And like the art people were like, what is happening? <laughs> um, and then the like drag race people were like, why are all these extra people here that don't care about what's happening with the show? <laughs> um, so it was just this like really funny, like sort of um, juxtaposition of people. And yeah. I love those sort of like awkward I guess is a good way of putting it situations that I think you only become exposed to when you're in the industry yeah yeah Yeah. there's there's just so many people that you see that you're you're bound to have all these like awkward oh yeah situations yeah and like in my situation too it's kind of funny how you develop these relationships with people in a restaurant but maybe they're not like I don't really talk a lot about like my personal life with guests like I, I I draw the line there but I think they can like have this they develop this relate you develop this relationship but maybe it's not 100 percent true oh <laughs> <And> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, i always found that like in guelph like i had to stop going to the farmer's market like first thing in the morning or i had to stop go i had to go first thing in the morning instead of going at like the end of the day um because otherwise like everywhere i went was people wanting to talk to me about the restaurant 
and it was fine. <laughs> like, great, I want to talk to you, but it's also my day off. Um, so, like, people would be like, where are the specials tonight? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't work Saturday <laughs> nights. Like, you know, or, like, whatever. And it would always be stuff like that. Um, or, like, if you go to, like, a cafe downtown and I would be, like, working at, like, the wellness job or, like, mm-hmm. whatever project I'm working on. And I have a laptop up with my headphones in. And, like, every ten minutes sometimes, like, you'd have somebody coming up to you being like, oh, hey, how's it going? And it's like, that's great. But also, like... I need some alone time. <laughs> you know. I think, yeah, small town problems for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you become downtown girl famous, like you become one of them because you yeah. work in a place and you see everyone. Um, and then everywhere you go, people are just constantly talking to you, which is great for community. And I absolutely love it. And I think it's amazing. But there are also times where I was like, I just want to get my groceries yeah. and continue on with my day. Like, that's all I want. <laughs> Um, you know, or like whatever it could be, right? So, uh, you know, what can you do? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this has been a lot of fun. I think this has been a great episode. I think we've yeah. had a blast. It's been fun catching up and talking about Vegeta. Yeah. Um, and I hope it also gives like people who've been listening the way I talk about Vegeta on this show. It's nice to have people from the restaurant finally on the show to kind of talk about the programs in place and stuff because I haven't seen a lot of restaurants doing this. So I thought, you know, it's time. Let's start chatting and having this happen. So I think it's going to be great for the listeners as well. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And I'm so happy that you invited me on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, till next time, Rebecca. All right. Bye, Erin. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is Aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is B underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Hell's Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them what isn't working for them and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better work day and remember if you want to be a guest on this podcast send me an email i'd love to chat with you see ya